This is episode 113 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Just What is Backfeeding? Tactical Training from an Australian Soldier and How to Stay Sane When You're All Alone in a Survival Situation. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Before we get started, uh, got a couple of, uh, well, I got an email and a comment. Uh, comment on uh, episode 112, and we had that fun uh, that fun article at the end. At least I thought it was kind of funny, the, the toilet paper one. And uh, But anyway... Uh, John John left a, <laughs> a comment. Great episode. Maybe not the most glamorous side of self-reliance, but very informative. Keep up the great work. And then Rodney sent me an email, um, something that I've never seen before. Uh, but he was basically saying, um, you know, with toilet paper to save space, uh, that there is this um, uh, pills. And at first, when he or, or these pills or these tablets, right? These these toilet paper pills. And when he first, when I, when I saw that, I was, a, you know, I was out and about and uh, saw that come through my email and I'm like, it's got to be a joke, it's got to be a joke, it's got to be something funny, I mean, you know, maybe somebody's being facetious or, you know, whatever from the, from the, the podcast or whatever, but when I got a chance to go check out the video, it's, uh, it's very legit, it's, uh, it's from Canadian Prepper and he talks about these, um, these I, there's a specific brand uh but anyway there's these li- there's little tabs and uh they look about the size of a mentos uh candy i guess uh, if you you remember those uh and then so you get it just a little bit wet and they start expanding it's a paper towel and uh so he goes through this he runs through this and uh on his video and so you can kind of see what it's what it's like and and uh you know it, it does i mean you can pack 14 7 14 and and you, you know you'll be good to go with just a little bit of water you can get these expanded and it would uh save a lot of space like if you're backpacking or in your bug out bag or something like that or even having you know in your car uh for whatever reason uh it'd be you know good to have some of those um so anyway i'm going to go ahead and link to that video from canadian pepper on the um on the uh, the uh, the podcast show notes, but uh, I went over to they're a little expensive. So like the 500 pack is uh, is pretty expensive, like 50 something dollars. Uh, but I don't know. I might try some, maybe one of the smaller packs, and just uh, see what they're like. I think they're you know it's kind of it would be good to just have some uh, around with you, right? Or in your like I said, in your bug out bag or whatever. But uh, definitely you'll want to check out that video. I thought it was pretty interesting. All right, so let's go ahead and go into our first article of the evening. It comes to us from theprepperjournal.com, and uh, the title is Just What is Backfeeding? It's going to be dealing with electricity and generators, but I think it's something that we uh, should all all consider. So uh, let's go ahead and get into this one. Earthquake Southern California, sitting in my kitchen at 5.25 a.m., I felt the roll. Heard the house creak and crack and through my dining room window saw the transformer a few blocks away blow. Spectacular. It was over quickly. Family was fine. House had no damage on a first look and no electricity or natural gas as I had a seismic shutoff valve on the gas line. This wasn't my first rodeo. 
coffee. I needed coffee, so I went to the garage, got my portable camping stove, part of my survival gear, heated some water on it on the dining room table, pulled out the French press, coffee. Spouse got up about 20 minutes later, slid into a chair next to me, and poured herself a cup and asked, Why do we have a camping stove? We don't camp. We were newly married. I said nothing, just looked at her as her brain cells began to come online, and a moment later I got a wiry smile and an O. Oh. From humble beginnings and knowing where I lived, I started this journey, and I became a believer in portable things, especially portable generators as we slide down the food chain quickly without electricity. No family home should be without one, just as no home should be without a comprehensive first aid kit. Additionally, and equally, no one should have either unless they truly understand what each can do to both aid people and harm them. While we could do a not-so-short course in electricity, circuits, breakers, grounds, and phases herein, that information is online from reliable sources, and I suggest a few hours of going through it would be time well spent for every building owner, home, office, plant, factory, etc., you won't pass any certification classes, but you will be able to ask much smarter questions. If you are thinking of installing a home generator as a backup system, that I want to address herein is the dangers of not doing it right, specifically backfeeding. If you are just running some power strips off a well-ventilated, fuel-powered, portable generator, things will work if you have enough extension cords to reach vital assets, and you should pose no threat to yourself or others. Do be aware that in an SHTF situation, the generator noise will expose your location. Prudent use and investing in some power storage systems will somewhat alleviate the, this exposure. There is a whole other post on these on the site, and we will do an in-depth review of portable generators in the very near future. However, if you are considering installing a stationary generator, what people do who plan to hunker down, to a home circuit panel, you need to do it right, or better yet, have it done professionally. Leaving every breaker on energizes the entire panel, and power is distributed throughout the house on all circuits. Only the largest portable generators, the word portable here being a euphemism, can supply enough power for an entire home, and the cost can be in the thousands of dollars. Do you need the AC on? I asked this while living in Phoenix, writing this in the summer. The pool pump, the washer and dryer, garage door openers, every flat screen TV and game system. Does every room need power? You know the answer. Yes, for food storage, some outlets to charge batteries, cell phones and electronics that link to the outside world, and any critical care medical equipment. The rest is just fluff. If your solution is to introduce a backup generator through your home electrical system, you will need to invest in a manual transfer switch, which takes power from the generator and distributes it only to the branch circuits that were selected when the switch was installed. Each circuit has its own breaker and electrical power is automatically confined to the dwelling. Paying a licensed electrician to do this is the only approach. This prevents backfeeding, accidentally powering the neighborhood utility lines coming into your home and endangering any utility workers, neighbors, etc. When you apply power to a circuit, your home electrical panel, electricity flows to the path of least resistance, which with no power coming from the utility lines means they are a path of least resistance as they have no load on them, such as your refrigerator does on its circuit so electrical current flows from your house back out to the power lines. 
In this off and then instant on with no warning scenario, the chances to injure or kill a utility worker are great and you are liable. National Electric Codes 408, 702, and 225 provide strict guidance on the requirements of such generators. Now multiply this across every home in an electrical grid and you will know why we should respect these guys and girls. While one can argue that simply turning off some breakers helps to resolve this issue, it does so without balancing the loads across the circuits. And who wants to go out and pick and choose those in real time? Who knows how the circuits are set up in the breaker box in the first place? Preppers or planners and having this locked down is just a good, is good common sense. Identify the must-haves and get a professional to hook up the systems correctly. Ask way too many questions, write everything down, and store the data with your survival kit. You will forget after time. Now, knowing this, would you ever touch a downed power line? There are a couple of comments here in the, the comment section and a couple of links that you can go check out in this article. Uh, this is interesting. You know, my question, I don't know too much about electricity and electricity lines uh, as far as, you know, repairing them goes and uh, what, you know, somebody with the electric company would, uh, would experience down the road uh, if they were repairing and someone did tie into their uh, elect electrical system without having a, a proper uh, switch transfer um, you know I'm wondering if uh, anybody out there would know you know if the electricity companies or those that work on the lines in these cases if they take any precautions if there's any way to turn off uh, electricity flow like coming from homes of people who, who wind up doing this I would think that there's some kind of safe uh, safety mechanism now that's not a, a reason to not have this manual transfer I think is just safer if you're going to do that uh, I think it's just easier probably just to run a couple of electrical lines or cords into your house and, and power what you really need. Um, you know, you're not going to want to power unless, unless you, and for instance, I, again, I'm in Houston and it's summer, kind of like this author was writing, you know, in Phoenix. Um, if I can't run my central, you know, uh, air condition, uh, I definitely don't want, don't necessarily care about powering the whole rest of the house. I'd rather have... Uh, a little window unit and that's and this is kind of what we do when we go up to the country to my dad's place we have a window unit that we take up there uh, we hook it up and this is when it's hot you know the summertime and stuff uh, we hook it up to the generator and start it off cool it off and then go in there and we sleep and then somewhere around six o'clock in the morning it usually you know uh, runs out of, uh, of gas and then so it kind of you know dies that way but uh, we're still you know cool throughout the night same kind of principle would be for for a home you would want to have a, uh, uh, you would want to have a, a window unit that you can plug into a room and kind of seal it off from the rest of the house and everyone you know goes in and hangs out there right and uh, spends their time in there so they're cool maybe you've got the TV going on and you're definitely uh, powering your your freezer or your refrigerator so you're not uh, so you're not losing all your food in there so anyway uh, you know definitely something to consider if you are uh, wanting to do that um, so good information there all right so let's go ahead and move on to the next one uh, our next article comes from survivalsullivan.com uh, it's a very it's a lengthy article so I'm gonna you know kind of I want to get going on this one because it is pretty long um, it's called tactical training from an Australian soldier and so there's a lot of you know uh, basic points here to kind of start kind of get you going 
Um, and there's some interesting things here that you might, or hopefully that you find interesting. So let's go ahead and we'll start reading this one. Tactical training is one of the most important aspects of your prepping for an SHTS situation. Use the information in this article to start your training regime or modify any training you may already be doing. Training should be done to build a skill level and also to maintain that skill level. Tactical training could be useful in a situation where you need to evade or stay hidden from a threat. This training is also useful if you find yourself needing to neutralize a threat. Training like this also helps to keep your mind in the game. Training for a wide variety of situations instills confidence in your ability and keeps you actively thinking about your situation. Keeping your mind in the game and prepared is crucial as your brain is the best tool you have in your arsenal. This post will cover fitness or physical training, PT and battle fitness, scenario-based training, movement, moving in the environment, know your area, how you can maintain the upper hand, gear, what you may want and why, how to set up your gear and why, cover versus concealment, camouflage, using what's around you. The first thing I would like to address is the word tactical. It seems to be thrown around out of context, often by marketers, and now has many meanings in common usage. Once we agree on the meaning, we can begin to work on the training. Google says the definition of tactical is relating to or constituting actions carefully planned to gain a specific military end, showing adroit planning, aiming at an end beyond the immediate action. So how do you as a prepper use tactical skills for a survival situation? We need to train our skills, techniques, and know-how for our survival in a tactical situation. Often as a prepper, the tactical situation is survival, as survival is the end we aim to achieve. You may find yourself trying to evade a threat or enemy at a time when all you have is yourself to rely on. In a time like this, you may need to move tactically to a safer place or continually move until the threat is gone or you are in a position to neutralize the threat. You may find that you are unsure if you are dealing with friend or foe. Your tactical training may buy you time to find out and leave you in a position to act safely no matter if you are confronted with a threat or not. So let's break our training down into two areas. Physical training, which is fitness, and tactical training. Often a tactical situation is uncomfortable and awkward, dirty and dangerous for many influences. Fitness first into fitness fits into your tactical training at the beginning as a way to deal with these issues. Before starting any type of fitness training, you should consult your doctor and make sure your training is appropriate. Basic fitness like running shorts and shirt type training is the starting point for fitness training. You need to be realistic as to where you are with your own fitness and start there. Any improvement you can make to your fitness, be it strength or stamina, will be to your advantage. If you need to start with a walk, that's where you will start. If you are running ultra marathons each week, you will likely only need to maintain your fitness. What fitness state do you need to aim for? The answer to this is you need to be fit enough to sit or lay, or whatever, in a cramped position for a long time without moving or making a sound. You hope you are never in this situation, but you need to be able to do it. You will also need a degree of endurance. A tactical situation may see you, you need to run for a period, walk or move for a long period, and stop and stay still for a long period. Your fitness regi regime should have this end result in mind. Here are some basics. Steady state cardio training, running, walking, rowing, cycling, high intensity intervals, sprinting, kettlebell workouts, jumping jacks, rope skipping, and more. This is where you take your fitness 
training and combine it with a tactical aspect. You train in your clothes and with your tools you expect you, you may use in a tactical situation. This may include but is not limited to protective clothing, long pants, boots, hats, gloves, bags, webbing, and carriage equipment, weapons, and tools. If you expect to use it in a tactical situation, train with it. It can be as simple as introducing your bag or your weapon to your walking or running routine. I suggest building up your training in this way. There is no need to train in full gear all the time. Don't overdo it. You can also add specific training in at this point. If you want to train with a weapon, be safe. You could do some fire and movement exercises. Start with no rounds or blanks. Start by walking, then reacting, like going to ground, crawling to cover, taking a shot, and moving. You can add this to fitness regime also if you are fit enough. Make an obstacle course like this. 10 squats, move to designated marker. Go to ground, leopard crawl, take a shot, move, get up, walk to a marker, repeat the process with 10 lunges, moving forward instead of squats, or add your own variation as you need to. This is training for fitness, remember, but with the added benefit of conditioning yourself with your equipment. This is also a great time to work out any issues with your gear. If your chest rig has a buckle that rubs on your skin and annoys you, fix it now. Also, this is a great way to trial new gear that you haven't used before. You may have started to practice movement in your battle PT. In this stage, we take it further. We are aiming to move in different environments without being detected. It starts with getting used to moving in the environment. If it is a conventional environment, start by not walking on the path. You need to get used to not using tracks and you need to get used to moving in this situation. You will find it hard to move silently. Practice, practice, practice. You may never get it perfect, but you should try to. Don't get yourself lost. You can take just a step or two off the path and handrail it. Be respectful of the area you are training in, don't destroy it, and don't trample plants, etc. Tip. To move silently, you should not trample anything anyway. Making a mark on the environment is also a way to be tracked. No animal makes a noise when walking through the scrub, be it prey or predator. Humans walk on everything and give themselves away time and time again. Don't be that guy. If someone is following or tracking you, your ability to move silently through the environment may be the thing that sees you live another day. If you are stalking food, your ability to move silently will be a great advantage when trying to get close to your prey. Scenario training may seem the best way to train for tactical situations. To train successfully, you should break the scenario into elements. You can then structure your training sometimes like this. Practice element 1, then practice element 2, then create a scenario involving element 1 and 2. Start basic and build to ever-increasing difficulty of elements and scenarios, and then go back to the basics again. Simple training could start with reaction, reacting to a stimuli. It could be a gunshot, a movement, or a noise. If you can work in a pair or a team, this is great. Move through an environment and have your partner dart out from behind something and move to a new position. You need to react. You should move to cover or concealment. At this point, self-evaluate and also have your partner evaluate. Questions for you. Is the spot you move to cover or concealment? Can you see what the enemy is doing? Can they see you? Do you have another move or are you now trapped? The list goes on. While there is no right or wrong answer, training to make better decisions is what will give you the advantage. 
At this point, you can see how important it is to have someone else to train with. Who can you use? Your kids and your wife and other family members are great and can be extremely helpful. Other preppers and people interested in learning these skills are even better. Here are a few scenario setups you can use with your family members. You really must consider the safety of your family when you do this. You can have your kids sit and wait in an area and try to sneak up on them. You can make it a game if they are a little younger. Keep it short so they don't get bored. Have your kids wait on the edge of a wooded area. Close their eyes and count to 10. You move to a point in the scrub and start moving towards them. They should be trying to see you coming. Tell them to yell out if they are sure they can see you or know where you are. You can do this in an urban environment too, like if you have a few buildings around your house on your farm. Have someone sit inside, maybe on the second story, and set up the same type of scenario. This time, try to make it into the building and inside, maybe even all the way to the person looking for you. You can do both these scenario roles reversed. This way, you get to have a breather and the kids get to test their skills at tricking mom and dad. Watch closely what they do. They may have valuable lessons to teach. They will see the environment different to you. This perspective may be invaluable. While these are simple scenarios, on paper they can become quite complex on the ground. Involving your family in a fun way has many benefits for you and your family. Even if you don't have to use the skills practice, the bonding will last a lifetime and is invaluable to both you and your children. Seemingly simple yet incredibly complex, the way you move and how you practice is a vital part of survival. In this section, we will focus on moving on your feet, walking, running, crawling, monkey crawl, leopard crawl. Monkey crawl for minute 350. So there's a, there's a couple of uh, videos here that you can check out. Um, as you can see, no, I'm sorry, the first one is the monkey crawl. As you can see, it is difficult a difficult thing to explain with words. Normally, you would have your non-master hand in a fist and use it to support your weight. Your master hand will hold your weapon. This method is a way of moving quickly while staying low. The leopard crawl, and again, there is a, a video here for the leopard crawl. You can imagine how taxing this move can be and rough on the body in some terrain. It is even harder with a rifle. You must practice to get it right. Putting the barrel in the dirt can render a weapon ineffective. Each of these methods is, is useful in its own way and training on the technique is as much physical as it is skill training. Walking, running, and crawling I don't think I need to explain. You may find the monkey crawl difficult. Often shorter people are better suited to this technique. This method was widely used in Afghanistan. The ability to get low enough to move along the little fences walls that are everywhere over there was great. You reach the end of the wall and you are almost in a fire position and ready to attack or defend. You can also get to your feet quickly if you need to. Leopard crawling is one of my favorite methods of movement. Being so low to the ground makes you a very hard target if you are taking fire and it also makes you very hard to see. Terrain is a big factor for how you move. Being able to operate effectively in muddy areas, dry areas, hilly and steep slopes, and flat and open ground is crucial to success. Another aspect to consider is the vegetation. It can be almost impossible to move in a very close vegetation. It certainly makes it difficult to move swiftly and quietly. The best advice I can give you is to get out there and try it out. It really is something you have to work out for yourself. In the jungles of Southeast Asia, we practice moving with a small bush saw, machete, and a pair of sukultures. 
and I had to look that up. That was uh, kind of like uh, pruning shears. It is extremely slow and very hard to stay quiet. When the S hits the fan in these situations, you just have to move and that is a nightmare. You should practice both moving slowly and cutting a path and moving quickly to withdraw or attack. Being able to move effectively and quietly and remain aware is something you learn by doing. Later in this article, we, we will talk about knowing your own environment, an advantage you may have that often soldiers don't get. Don't become complacent. Go out and find new areas with new challenges to train in. You never know where and when you will need to use these skills. You may have to leave the comfort of your own area to seek help or resources. This may push you into terrain you have never seen before. Try to be ready for the challenge. Movement in the rain can be difficult as you become wet and heavy. Water also sucks morale right out of a person. Wet clothes rub skin red raw and this discomfort can be extremely difficult to deal with. Consider the effects it may have on other members of your party. It may have to move, if, if you have to move through the rain with your children, these factors could be devastating to them and your mission. The advantage of rain is noise. Rain masks your noise. Even for hours or days after rain, the ground and leaf litter may stay moist and make your footsteps very hard to hear. This is a great advantage that the average person doesn't realize. In heavy rain, your vision will be impaired. Visibly, visibility may drop to only a few feet, and if you don't have something to protect your eyes, you may have to stop and stay still. Tip hat. I'm sorry, tip. Hats, goggles, hoodies, scarves, and raincoats may help keep water out of your eyes. Be sure to pack them in your bug out bag as they are essential. If you can see and your enemy can't, you have a huge advantage. Make sure you can stack the odds in your favor if the situation pops up. Practice training in the rain and practice just being in the rain. Modern man is so sheltered, rain really puts some people off. Make rain your friend. As you can see, the training we have covered so far can be done in isolation or combined to train multiple aspects in one session. Even when practicing a skill in isolation, you may get insights into how to work other skills into your training. I was once transported to a different base. The next morning, we were woken and made to go for a run for 40 minutes. As we warmed down, the senior digger asked us a few questions about the environment. It was a test to see if we were just running for running sake or using the opportunity to build a picture of our surrounds. It was a valuable lesson for a young soldier. You are always on the clock. While moving about your own area, if you are training or not, you should be soaking up the environment, including landmarks, features, people, activity, tracks, paths, and routes, what the terrain is like in certain weather conditions. As mentioned before, soldiers train in many different environments. It is this training that gives them a reference point to operate from. As a prepper, you can be fairly sure of the environment you will have to operate in. Other people who live around you will also know this environment. You can gain an advantage if you, are thinking, if you are thinking now and building your intel on the environment around you. Knowing little things like the creek at the bottom of our road would likely flood with four hours of good rain or one hour of rain and the area at X will become a slippery mess or after a few weeks without rain the wooded area around my farm will be almost impossible to move in without making some kind of noise or someone moving through the area to the east will go past Smith Smith's dogs and they will bark and carry on and so on and so on and so on. All these little tidbits make up your intel picture. This can be a huge advantage in SHTF situation. 
You can collect this information almost passively, but you must be aware that it is out there. A visit to your neighbor to help mend a fence or cut up fallen tree can be a source of valuable intel. Pro tip, write the information down. Keep a file or a spreadsheet. Handwriting information is best. You are unlikely to pull the file out in an SHTF situation, but writing it and working on it will help the information sink in. This may help you recall the information at a time of need. The topic of gear could go on forever. It is a personal thing and you also may have a few different loadouts for different situations. I will share some considerations for the basics. This is certainly not exhaustive and I am sure that you can find many interesting videos and articles on the topic. While it is good and fun to look at all the new gear and what different people use, there are a couple of things you should think about. You need to get used to your gear. You should be able to locate the items you have quickly without looking and you should be able to do it in the pitch black of night or inside a darkened building or tunnel. You should keep your gear simple. There is nothing worse than gear carrying gear all over the countryside that you never use. Do a quick audit every now and then as you begin to see your pockets and pouches fill up. Ask yourself, do I need to carry this? It may be that you can pack the item somewhere else if you rarely use it. You may find that you can do away with it altogether. Do consider the availability, availability of these things in an SHTF situation. Work with a basic kit for your webbing. You can always add something later if you need to. Basic ingredients to a webbing loadout, water, ammo, weapon cleaning kit, torch, blade, cordage, or food. I generally have one liter of water in my webbing. I would adjust as I need to. Hot and dry or extremely humid conditions demand more water. You should also consider how much water you normally drink. If you are a heavy sweater and normally drink two to three liters of water an hour, you will adjust accordingly. Ammo is self-explanatory. A simple cleaning kit with a cloth and a boar snake and some CLP is usually all you need. Pro tip. In wet and humid conditions, a small piece of cloth soaked in CLP kept in a Ziploc bag is convenient. Likewise, a shaving brush with a tiny bit of CLP is great for dry and dusty environments. A small torch that fits in the palm of your hand is great. I also like to have a small red light torch on one of my zippers as a backup. I generally carry a folding knife with a blade about 2 inches long. I have both my knife and my torch tied to a length of cord and a carabiner clipping it into my pouch or pocket. This is how I set up my knife and torches. Personally, I like to carry an Australian MRE main meal, maybe some gum and maybe some M&Ms. Only enough to get me through a day, nothing that requires heating. If you're moving with nothing but your webbing, you are not stopping to heat or cook a meal. Feel free to add to this list if you think it is necessary. Again, I will keep this short and generic as I don't know your exact situation. Right-handed firers should have their main ammo stored on the left side of the body for easy access. If you are using a bolt-action weapon, you may want to flip this idea around. I suggest having a bandage of some sort in your top left shoulder pocket. Water on your left side, food on your right. You may need to stop for a quick sip of water in an intense situation. If your water is to your left, you can keep your master hand on your weapon, ready to lay down fire if needed. You won't even think about eating if you are in any kind of danger. If you are working as a team, you should have your gear all set up the same. Example, I know where my bandage is. I know where my buddy's bandage is. He knows where my bandage is. 
I don't have to think about it. If he is hurt and the pressure is on, it will come naturally to me because his bandage is in his left pocket just like mine is. Standard, standardizing your gear carriage like this is a must. Do you know the difference? I'm sorry, cover versus concealment. Do you know the difference? You should. If you don't, here it is in a nutshell. Cover equals something you can get your body behind that will stop around at least the first few rounds. If someone is shooting a 22 at you, cover will be different to, to what you will need to use if someone is shooting at you with a 308. Concealment equals something you can hide behind so as not to be seen. If you are seen and shot at, the round can or may travel through concealment. I doubt I need to go into further detail about this. Make sure you understand the difference. Research what cover truly is because it is not what they portray it to be in the movies. A car door, for example, won't stop Jack. In fact, most of a car will not stop around. A car is more concealment than cover. If you, if in a situation, if in a situation where you are behind a car and someone is sending brass your way, you will need to do something like move to cover. There are two broad types of camo that you should be familiar with: trying to hide and trying to blend in. In a situation with a lot of people around, you may be best to blend in. Having gear and clothing that is all of one color as opposed to a disruptive pattern is what I would suggest for this type of situation. You may not want to draw attention to yourself. Being able to blend in and move freely could be of huge benefit. If people identify you as a soldier or someone you can help, who can help them, they may be a hindrance to your mission or a drain on your resources. If someone identifies you as being someone who can help or as a prepper, they may also see you as a target. People may be desperate and if it looks like they may be able to exploit you, they will. Having plain clothes and backpacks will make you look like everyone else. This may allow you to be left alone to do whatever you need to do. It is worth thinking about if not trying to implement. If you can only afford one good jacket, pants, packs, or whatever, you may want to think about this angle. Trying to be hidden is certainly more difficult in an urban environment. In nature, disruptive pattern gear works extremely well. One advantage of not owning disruptive pattern items is that you can use them in both situations. Simply adding mud, dirt, and leaves to a plain item can and will give it a disruptive pattern. You can also use paint, but this will give a more permanent effect. Adding some of the surrounding environment to your gear is well worth the effort if you are trying to hide. Disruptive pattern or not. Rubbing dirt into your gear is great. Adding some leaves and branches with a rubber band or slipping it into your molly is also effective. Be careful, that, be careful what sign you leave when you do this. Stripping one bush of all its leaves is an obvious sign someone is around. Taking veg from the top of a small tree is also obvious. Adding the only yellow flower that is around is just stupid. Take from several different shrubs and take dirt from underneath low foliage. Try to make sure that it is not obvious that someone has been in the area. This article is, is far from exhaustive. Your training should evolve with your skills and the technology available to you. Do not forget to train for the basics, like simple movement practice. Getting the basics right is the thing that wins all kinds of battles, from wars to car racing to a game of football or tennis. I hope you can use this article to train better and became, become a better prepper. All right, so... Uh, like I said, long article, and uh, I guess uh, being an Australian soldier, there are some different wording, different words that they use for different different things. But I think you you get the idea of uh, of what he's saying here, 
and uh, being purposeful about what you're doing and the way that you're training. So uh, over at uh, Survival Sullivan, go check that out. There's there's links throughout the article, uh, and like I said, there's videos and you know things that you want to go check out. So uh, you know uh, definitely you know a high interest piece for a lot of you. I know it'll be a high interest piece for you to go check out. All right, so moving on, uh, our last article is uh, it's 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 actually a shorter one, uh, and it comes to us from ReadyNutrition.com. Um, and it's entitled, How to Stay Sane When You're All Alone in a Survival Situation. So like I said, it's short. Let's go ahead and read this one and uh, we'll call it uh, a podcast. When most people imagine various survival scenarios that they could find themselves in, many of those scenarios include isolation. The, that's not surprising considering that many of the survival stories we hear about in the media involve people who escape the hazards of the wilderness all by themselves. Those stories are often the most harrowing and interesting. But when people consider, prep, consider prepping for those scenarios, they usually don't think about some of the difficulties that come with surviving by yourself. I'm not talking about the difficulties that are associated with pulling off challenging tasks without the help of a friend. I'm talking about the crushing mental anguish that is inevitable when you have, haven't seen another person for days or weeks. The average person probably doesn't appreciate just how important social interaction is for their well-being. They know it's important to some degree, but they don't realize that it's vital. It's just as important for your health as food, water, and shelter. Maybe you don't believe me. You think that you're an, intro, you're an introverted loner who doesn't need people. Or maybe when you think about an apocalyptic scenario, you have romantic notions of being some lone wolf badass who can take care of himself. It's almost always a he who thinks that. But consider this. In prison, how do guards punish unruly prisoners when all other forms of discipline have failed? They throw them in solitary confinement for days, weeks, and sometimes even years, where their, con where their only contact with other people is through letters, if they're lucky, in a place that is brimming with murderers, liars, thieves, gangs, drug pushers, and rapists, the absolute worst punishment you can inflict on a prisoner is to separate them from those dangerous criminals. Let that sink in. Social isolation can be crippling. It can cause depression and anxiety and can deplete your self-worth. When it's coupled with a lack of stimuli, like say, from hunkering down in a shelter for days or weeks, it can cause insomnia, paranoia, poor impulse control, aggression, hallucinations, and memory loss. In other words, it causes you to behave in ways that are not conduct conducive to survival. So if you're going to prep for any survival situation, you have to prep for the possibility that you'll be on your own for a long period of time. You have to figure out how you'll stay sane when you're your own company, and how do you do that? Take it from prisoners who have actually been locked up in solitary confinement for long periods of time. Wrongly convicted inmate Sajua Graham found solace in a routine while he was in solitary. Graham, who's now 62, spent three years in solitary on death row after he was framed for murdering a prison guard. I kept myself occupied, he said. I programmed myself. He woke up at 5 a.m. every day and did exercises like jumping jacks and push-ups. Then he'd sponge himself off in his, his sink. Later in the day, Graham went into a deep meditative state, pretending to visit his mom and other family members. Vietnam prisoner of war Tom Moe didn't see, hear, or talk to another American for months during his captivity, according to his account in Notre Dame, Notre Dame magazine. 
During his time as a POW, he made sure his mind was always occupied. He designed and built ten houses in his mind. He wrote, and he constantly made lists, ticking off candy bars, countries, and the capitals of those countries. And in most accounts of people who have survived solitary confinement, you'll find similar themes. They use their imaginations to challenge themselves. They meditate. They find some way to express themselves through writing or drawing and the exercise. They maintain a strict routine, which is very important since isolation makes you feel like you've lost control of your life. A routine establishes that, that feeling again, and perhaps, more importantly, a lot of prisoners plan for the future. Not only would that make good use of your time in a survival situation, but again, it helps you feel like you have control again. Make no mistake, so, social isolation is no joke. It can utterly destroy the mind. If you don't take any measure to exercise your mind and body in a survival situation that leaves you all alone, then nothing else will keep you alive. Alright, so a good article over at readynutrition.com. I would have thought that there would have been a little bit more uh, or some comments there um, because I think it is a, a valuable topic. Um, not too long ago, I wrote an article on this mental rehearsal. It was a t was the title of it over at Ed the Matters. Um, if, uh, I might link, I'll link to it there. But the idea is that our minds are so powerful that, um, for instance, like when you when you have a nightmare at you know at night or you wake up from a nightmare um you don't just like open your eyes like oh hey that was a nightmare you usually wake up your your heart is beating uh you might be you know uh, your body was uh sweating or you know and so you were you're so into that your your mind believes that it's so into that situation that scenario that it's reacting that way and so um you know, you can rehearse some things. You can go through things. So if you, uh, when you watch the Olympics and like the Winter Olympics, and uh, they they show some, you know the different skiers or downhill skiers or whatever, and you might see them, uh, they have headphones on, and you might see them actually kind of like leaning to the left and leaning to the right, uh, but they're you know they're not on their skis. They're just they're just kind of going through. The route that they're that they're going to be taking down the uh, down the slope, and so they're mentally rehearsing this over and over again. The same thing when uh, you have the high divers, you know, they put on their headphones and so that they can kind of just concentrate on what it's going to look like and and how they're actually going to be diving. And so that's a very important thing. So if you are in a situation where you're by yourself. Being able to imagine different things and and being able to work through those things, I, I would think, is very powerful, especially if you're in solitary confinement. Uh, now, if you're not in solitary confinement, you know it's it is uh, it is something that you know you can still put into place. I was thinking of uh, Castaway with uh, Tom Hanks and kind of how he had uh, uh, he had the the volleyball right. And uh, how, you, you know, that was kind of like his friend and, and uh, Wilson. That's what it was, Wilson. And, uh, you know, how he, he imagined having this conversation with Wilson. And Wilson was talking back with him. I mean, partly that's, he's going a little crazy there. But, uh, you know, he imagined, he imagined that, that that was going on. So, uh, you know, our imaginations are a very, very powerful, uh, powerful thing. And uh, I, I actually listening to about these uh, or reading about these uh, people who were like prisoners of war and how they actually, or uh, this this guy that was uh, wrongfully 
convicted, how he got through solitary confinement. Uh, you know, that's very, very interesting that you can be in there for, uh, for three years and, you know, keep yourself sane. Um, that's, that's powerful, man. That's real powerful. So uh, go check that out over at uh, readynutrition.com. There's a couple of links there uh, and also links to uh, some of these uh, the accounts of uh, the prisoners of war and, and uh, the inmate that was in there for three years. So, hey, if you are, are just looking for more preparedness information, don't forget to stop by. If you're new to the podcast, or you've, you've only been listening to the podcast and you haven't been visiting, uh, you know, Prepper website, our main website. That is where we link to all these articles. And, you know, I, I normally read two or three articles per podcast. Um, but, you know, we post somewhere between 8 to 12 articles every, every evening on Prepper website. So if you're looking for more preparedness information... Definitely want to go check that out. Um, you know, you, you, there's new stuff on the main page every single day. And then we have uh, pages that are specific to firearms or even if you're into conspiracy theories or alternative news and things like that. Well, DIY and frugal, uh, frugal living, we do have that as well. And it's uh, very interesting. So anyway, hey, if you also if you get a chance, come by the Prepper Website podcast and leave me uh, a comment in one of the comments section or hit me up on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. With that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.